What are you devoted to? What are you devoted to? What's at the core for you? What are your core commitments? Last week we had the opportunity to look at Matthew 28 and the Great Commission, this picture of what the Lord has put before us, that we are to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded. It's a huge mission. It's a huge commission. It's a great commission. And as I was thinking about this over the week, I found a note in my Bible that I had stuffed in there uh, several years ago. I found it in uh, the bedroom of one of our girls. One of our girls, when they were seven, wrote this little note. And, and I love this because it understands in these seven-year-old words how big and amazing the mission before us is. She writes this. She says, Dear someone in the world, I want to show you that God is always with you and that he loves you very much. And then she signed her name at the bottom. And I grabbed it and put it in my Bible forever. It's a picture that recognizes just how amazing this vision is. I mean, I have to believe that everyone who walks into these doors, who is a follower of Jesus Christ, that we want to see this happen. We really want to see this happen. We want to see the world changed. We want to see people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. We want to see corruption and brokenness transformed by the gospel into goodness and light. We want to see God's kingdom come to bear on this earth in ways that we've never seen before. We want this. Amen? But the question then is how do we keep on mission? I mean, there's the Great Commission. This is this huge call. But how do we stay on mission? How do we not lose the vision? How do we not get distracted? How do we keep the engine firing? It's about answering the question, what are you devoted to? What are your core commitments? That'll keep the engine running. You see, the early church, they knew what they were devoted to. They had these core commitments and they were laid out clearly in Luke chapter, or Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we find these verses just a little later on than what we've already read today. Luke 2, verse 42, we hear these words. And they, that is the disciples, the early followers of Jesus, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and to the prayers. And awe fell on every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any as had need, and day by day, attending temple together, breaking bread together in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those 
who were being saved. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. This is where we see in one verse, verse 42, what the early church was committed to, what they were devoted to, what their core commitments were. Four things. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. And the thing about these four commitments is that they weren't just a laundry list. They're not just sort of pick your favorite three out of four. You know, 75%, that's, that's a C minus or something, isn't it? At least I passed. No. They're symbiotically connected. They're interlinked. If you drop any one of these four, just watch and the others will fall. The early church understood that they need to, needed to be devoted to all four of these things. And the question I have, Christ Church, is what are we devoted to? What are our core commitments? The word commitment, the word devoted, verse 42, I love it as a word. It's a very active word. It has the same root as the word vow. They had taken a vow. They said, we're, we're giving ourselves to this. We're devoted. It's a single-mindedness. It's a steadfastness. It's a keeping your eyes fixed on something. And again, with each of these four things, you'll note that there is a definite article in front of each one. It's the word the. And you're going to get used to this. I seem to get pretty excited about small little words. God doesn't waste any ink. The point is that when he says, when, when, when Luke writes that they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers, he was not being general or generic. He was being specific. Not just any kind of apostles' teaching, the apostles' teaching. Not just any kind of fellowship, the fellowship. You're following me. So let's look at these quickly together. Let's look at what the early church was committed to. Let's look at what they were devoted to and ask... Are we committed to these things? Are we devoted to these things? The apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Apostle means sent one. It means one who was sent. And I love that word, apostle, sent one, because it immediately begs the question, who sent you? And the answer is Jesus. Apostles are the ones that are sent by Jesus. Jesus had a message that he wanted to spread through the entire world. And so he laid hands on these apostles and said, you're now my sent ones. Go, take my message. And it wasn't just a first generation thing. These apostles would then send on next generation apostles and next generation apostles. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, we see this. We see Paul who's a first-generation apostle, a first-generation sent one, sending Timothy, his protege, second generation. And he's instructing Timothy to send the next generation as well. He says this, he says, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, he says, follow Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me, the apostles' teaching in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. See, what he's saying is, I've been a sent one, and now you're a sent one too. And generation after generation after generation, that same apostolic teaching has carried on to this very day. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. But again, as I said, note the definite article, the apostles' teaching. You see, by the time the book of Acts is written, there are already growing up within the church false apostles, false teachings, people who are responding to the cultural pressure around them and saying, this gospel isn't working in our culture. We need to water it down. We need to transform it to fit better within our culture. We need to make this gospel less radical and more easily to accept within the Roman world. And generation after generation, we've seen false apostles grow up in our ranks. Galatians chapter 1, Paul hits this pretty hard. Galatians 1, Galatians 1 verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Paul's not mincing his words here. Because he realizes the cultural pressure will always be with the church to round off the edges, water it down, make it more palatable. But that's not what the world needs. The world needs the full gospel. A couple years ago, last year, last summer, we had the opportunity in Ottawa to host the Church of Nigeria. Some of you may know that the Church of Nigeria, the Anglican Church of Nigeria, is the largest by a long shot Anglican province in the world. 22 and a half million Anglicans in church every Sunday in Nigeria. It's enormous. And yet, as many of you also know, Nigeria is one of the most dangerous places right now to be a Christian in northern Nigeria because of Boko Haram. The amazing thing was last summer when we were hosting the Church of Nigeria, archbishops, bishops, priests, laity all gathered. It was a wonderful time. I got to experience Nigerian cooking and loved it. But I sat in the pew next to an archbishop named Archbishop, Nicola, um, archbishop Ignatius Cati. And Ignatius Cati was kidnapped in 2013 with his wife by Boko Haram and was held for over a month, tortured, finally was freed. And here I am sitting with a man whose joy is unfettered and unbounded, and I realize why there is still a church in Nigeria despite Boko Haram. I mean, you'd think that with Boko Haram, there'd be no church left in Nigeria. But there's a church left in Nigeria because these men and women have said, we are devoted to the apostles' teaching. We will not be put down from that. The world needs, Nigeria needs the gospel. And so they are devoted to it. The question is, are we devoted to it? Are we devoted to the apostles' teaching? Are we devoted to this? Are you devoted to this? This fall, I am teaching a course on Tuesday mornings um, called Discipleship Under Pressure at 7 a.m. And I'm so committed that we need to talk about this idea of discipleship under pressure 
that I'm doing it also on Friday morning for the men at 6.30 a.m. as well because some men have said, we can't do Tuesdays, we need Fridays. So we're doing that. And I'm so committed to it. I'm not just doing it with the men on Tuesday and on Fridays, but I'm also going to be teaching this same thing to the women of the parish in January because the women can have the rector teach them as well, not just the men, if they want me. I mean, we can vote or something. The point being that I'm committed to the fact that we as a church need to recommit and rededicate ourselves to become even more devoted to the apostles' teaching, even under pressure. But they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. The fellowship, koinonia is the word in Greek. It means togetherness. It means partnership. It means family. Being together as a family, life together, that's what fellowship means. And the amazing thing with fellowship in the New Testament is that it's not fellowship that's centered on gender or economics or race or language. All of those barriers are broken down in the New Testament to have a fellowship, a family that is centered only on one thing, on Jesus Christ. Centered are you in Christ? I don't care what you, where you come from, who you are, your background. If you are in Christ, you are in fellowship. You are part of the family. And that's why this definite article is so important, the fellowship. Because it's not just any kind of fellowship. This is not a club. This is not just a, an organization. This is a radical kind of New Testament fellowship that is centered exclusively in Jesus. If you are in Christ, if you are saying yes to the gospel, you are in this family. You have fellowship. It's interesting because this fellowship, this idea that we have fellowship in the gospel, means that the core component is Jesus at the center of our fellowship, right? It's interesting because a few years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, when we were going through the troubles within the Episcopal Anglican world. They, they happened in Canada too, both here at Christ Church and also at my former parish in Ottawa and so many other places around North America. When we were standing up in the face of a church that was saying again and again, no, we will not stand up under pressure. We will water down the gospel. And we said, we can't water down the gospel because the world needs the gospel, the real gospel, the apostles' teaching, when the split happened, what were we accused of? Breaking fellowship. You have broken fellowship, we were told. But it's not true at all. We didn't break fellowship. Fellowship was already broken. You see, the minute you take the gospel out of the center of community... The minute you take the gospel, Jesus, out of the center of what binds us together, there's no fellowship left. The fellowship was broken and shattered the minute that the church rejected the full gospel. And so we weren't breaking fellowship. We were reestablishing fellowship in the gospel. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. J.C. Ryle, the 19th century evangelical theologian, famously said, the schismatic is the one who causes the separation, not the one who separates. The schismatic is the one who causes the separation, not the one who separates. 
They devoted themselves to the fellowship. The question is, what about us? Are we devoted to the fellowship? I don't know about you if you're in a small group. If you're not, that's okay. I'm not either yet. But I'm committed to getting into one. And I hope you are too. And those of you who are in small groups know what I'm talking about. We're making a concerted effort moving forward to make sure that small group life returns to being the center of who we are as a community so we can all know and be known and love and be loved and serve and be served. Are we committed? Are we devoted to the fellowship? But they were also devoted not just to the apostles' teaching, not just to the fellowship, but to the breaking of the bread. And Verse 46 refers to breaking bread in their homes, which means sharing a meal. That's part of fellowship. But verse 42, when it says the breaking of the bread, that's not a potluck. That's not, you know, bring your casserole. The breaking of the bread is nothing less than the Holy Eucharist. The breaking of the bread is the Lord's Supper. The breaking of the bread for Luke is clearly Holy Communion. You see, Luke wrote the book of Acts, and he also wrote another book called The Gospel According to Luke. It's, it's kind of an easy one. Um, um, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, on the day of the resurrection, Jesus is raised from the dead. Jesus is walking along the road to Emmaus with two other disciples. They do not recognize Jesus. And as they're walking along, Jesus is giving them a Bible study, pointing to all the reasons why they should understand that the Christ had to die, suffer for the sake of humanity, and rise again on the third day. Um, They come to a fork in the road, and Jesus makes like he's going off, and they say, no, no, come have a meal with us. And he does, and he sits down with them, and Luke says that he broke the bread and gave it to them, and their eyes were opened in that moment. And they ran to the disciples, and Jesus vanishes in that moment. They run to the disciples and say, we've seen the Lord, and we recognized him in, your key word, the breaking of the bread. You see, for Luke, he's referencing the fact that these disciples sitting there watching Jesus break the bread pointed them back just a few days earlier where he sat with them on his last meal, and he broke the bread and gave it to them and said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup and said, this is my blood poured out for you for the sins of the whole world. See, what Luke is saying here is that the early church was devoted to the breaking of the bread. They were devoted to this weekly, yes, I would argue from Acts chapter 20, verse 7, a weekly, a weekly celebration of the Lord's Supper. Because they were saying, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Every time we gather on the Lord's Day, we are raising the flag that says Jesus' death and resurrection stands at the center of who we are. Jesus' death and resurrection stands at the center of who we are. You and I are who we are because of what this table, what this altar tells us about the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the reason we do this every week is because I spend six days forgetting And I come back, and not only am I I reminded by hearing it, I'm invited forward. 
I had a friend a number of years ago, we were sparring on this, forgive me if I said this before, talking about our different traditions, and he was a Baptist, and I, I, I made a comment. I said, well, we have an altar call every Sunday. And he said, what? I said, we have an altar call every Sunday. How often do you have yours? He said, I don't know, once a quarter? Every Sunday. He said, how does that work? And I say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Happy are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He said, what? I said, it's an invitation to communion. It's an altar call. Come forward. Put your hands out and again say, yes, I believe. Yes, I need this gospel. And he realized that it wasn't really the altar call he was talking about. But still, the point being that our commitment, I mean, what are we devoted to? The early church was devoted to this. Are we devoted to this? Are you devoted to this? Will we continue? We, we offer four services over a weekend and a Tuesday Eucharist as well to make sure that no matter what happens in your week, a week does not need to go by that while you're actually in town that you can't come and receive and be reminded afresh and say yes to the gospel of the death and resurrection of the Son of God for you. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and finally the prayers. And note the definite article, the prayers, not just prayer. Prayer is great, essential, essential, central, but they're committed to the prayers. And note the plural, prayers. You see, they're talking about a specific type of prayers. In the Jewish world, there were two times of prayer per day. You prayed all the time, but in the morning and in the evening, you would pray. In Acts chapter 3, we read verse 1, Now Peter and John were going to the temple at the hour of prayer. The point is this. The early church was committed to the fact that as we rise and as we get ready to lay down, that we need to pray to our Father in heaven. That we need to take that time. And even better, we need to do it together. If we can do that as a church or we can do that as a family or we can do that at a workplace, we're gathering together to pray at the beginning and the ending of the day. The early church was committed to this. The question is, are we devoted to this as well? Do you begin your day and end your day talking to your Father in heaven? If you're married, do you begin and end your day talking to your Father in heaven with your spouse, with your children, or at your workplaces? or in your church chapel together? Are we committed to these things? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And do you know what's amazing, friends? These four things they were devoted to truly did become the engine that drove them forward because the fruit is right here. I won't go into it in detail, but I'll tell you, I'll read the verses and tell you right here, we see the effect of a church that's devoted to these things. Verses 43 to 47, this is the result. What happened to a church that made these things core, that were devoted to these things? Verse 43, and awe came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Literally, things started happening. Things got real. They were praying about things and they started actually taking place. People got healed, lives got changed. They were seeing the gospel actually change the world. Now, did they go out and say, all right, we're going to be a signs and wonders church. We're going to make it happen. We're going to dazzle them. 
No, of course they didn't. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers, and this is what happened. Signs and wonders took place. Verse 44 and 45. It says that all who believed were together and had things together in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They were leveling the economic playing field. And no, this is not some form of primitive socialism. This was family economics. They were taking care of each other like a family. If you're hurting economically, then I'm hurting economically. Let's care for each other. They were living out a radical kind of leveling the economic playing field. Did it happen because they said, we're going to go out and we're going to figure out how to level the economic playing field here and we're going to organize. That's the church we're going to be. No, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And look what happened. The leveling of the economic playing field happened because they believed the gospel. Verse 46 and 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, and hear this, having favor with all the people. Verse 46 and 47 is saying that the early church went out, lived glad and generous lives in the temple and at home, in other words, in every social sphere, and the whole world looked on and paid attention and said, that's attractive. We don't see people living like that. Wow. First Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give an account for the hope that is within you. The world looked on and said, there's something about you guys. This is attractive. This is different. Now, did it happen because they went out and said, we're going to make ourselves the most attractive church around. We're going to be attractive. We're going to be so attractive to the world around us. No, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers, and they became a glad, generous, attractive community. And finally, verse 47 at the end. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They didn't add it. They didn't say, we're going to go save the world. No, the Lord is doing that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. And the world around them met Jesus. What are you devoted to? What are your core commitments? Dear someone in the world, I want to show you that God is always with you and he loves you very much. How will we see this vision that we so desperately want to see happen? How will we see this happen? What do our core commitments need to be? What do we need to focus on? What do we need to be devoted to? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.